1: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now.
2: Hi, I'm Trey. I'm an an alcoholic. Uh, This joke comes from Take Me to Your Sponsor, Best Jokes and Cartoons from AA Grapevine. That is arguable. a penguin and a skunk walk into a bar. After having several rounds, the skunk looks over and asks the penguin,
3: Is my suit on
1: backwards? (laughs) I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Marianne. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? Yeah, yeah. If so, let's start the meditation. The- If you'd like to join me in the fog light prayer, it's to the right and to the left. God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we've discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. And I have asked our dear friend Ian to come and read the appendix to spiritual experience. We read this because the main purpose of the twelve steps is to have one. So it's kind of important to know what one is.
2: Thank you. I'm Ian. I'm alcoholic. I'm Ian. Spiritual experience. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed by at once a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by, no, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an in unsuspected inner research which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most methodically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program, Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a pro- principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, and this is from Alcoholics Anonymous, page 567-568. Thanks, Thank you.
1: Yes, thank you, Ian. Okay. So please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn it off. Um, Last week... (laughs) I introduced our speaker and I got more text messages from people saying <laughs> my introduction for Peter and calling him honey so I want to introduce my husband and my shoulder to shoulder and sometimes just my gosh he deals with my crazy and the crazy is so many others and and I get to deal with his little crazy stuff sometimes but come on up honey <laughs>
4: My name is Peter Recovered Alcoholic, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And I can't believe we're almost done here. Uh, These things go so fast. Uh, You start the first week, you think I'll be there forever. And next thing you know, Mike's throwing me out. June 23rd, 1988 is when God separated me from alcohol. And I've never gotten a chance to uh, thank anyone who's on Zoom the past few weeks for for being here as well. I have a sponsor, and I sponsor a whole bunch of men. Most of them know I sponsor them too. That's a good thing. And my life has taken on new meaning since I got here. The past few months have changed for me completely. Um, it's, uh, sometimes I feel like I'm in a rowboat without a paddle, um, And uh, so you know, you chop wood, carry water, and um, I won't say do the best I can because that's kind of settling for just being okay, but uh, just accepting things as they come along and not getting so wrapped up in the narratives in the head that that go around. Um, One of the things I've learned uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I always like sports as an analogy for life, but. you know, if you, you run or you, you do CrossFit or you lift weights, um, the way you get bigger and stronger is the muscles break. When In layman's terms, you work out, it breaks the muscle down, and when you heal, it builds and it builds stronger and it gets bigger. And it's the, kind of that way with this walk that uh, I needed to be broken down, continually broken down in order to be built up again. Now, when that happens, it hurts like heck. It's uncomfortable. It's an inconvenience. I don't like it. But I do like the effect produced by it. And, and that's been a lot of my journey. Uh, very often the things I thought I needed to be okay were not the things I needed to be okay. I just thought they were the things I needed to be okay. And so God puts me on a path, and the path I think I'm supposed to, to be on looks different than God's path. I want to go this way and I, and I scratch and claw to get there because I think when I get there I'm going to arrive and I find out I'm walking down the wrong path. And so it, it really comes down for me to a, a, a daily uh, surrender as to, you know, me and where I am on this journey. Um, When I look at step 11, uh, there's a lot of prayers. Anytime the book says ask, it's it's a prayer. And there's a lot of that in step 11, constantly turning in in order to go out. Uh, When I first got to Alcoholics Anonymous and I began to uh, meditate and pray, um, my first prayer, my first real sincere prayer, sober, on my knees, uh, I really thought God was going to open up the earth and swallow me. You know, I I, I was A lot of petitioning at the beginning, God, give me this and give me that, and I need to be careful at this far into the journey. I'm still not petitioning or negotiating with God. I'm supposed to be praying to God. Uh, I'm not looking uh, to change God, but rather to be changed by him. And very often I go to God my plans and designs. I here's the script. You follow it. But when I was new, I was a lot of petitioning. God, I need this. You got to give me that. I need this and all of that stuff. And uh, but I was scared to death praying. I also didn't feel very worthy praying either. Uh, And I wasn't into 11th step, which means I was approaching God with a lot of past stuff and a lot of fear of the future. I was in the middle of my mess. I was in the middle of my alcoholism, but I kept praying because that's what I was told to do, quite frankly. And uh, that evolved after a while. And my journey with uh, the 11th step, as I started to go through the steps, uh, it, it looked like you know accumulating a lot of little reading material in the morning and I would hear about daily reflections or one day at a time in the upper room and, and, and all these little one page little thingies where they have a meditation of the day, thought for the day, for the day and, and by the time you get done, you forgot what you read already, you got to read it again, and what I quickly became uh, attached to was that. And I was very, I was much more concerned about what I was reading and trying to remember that stuff, which is A for effort, but I was paying too much attention to that at one point worshiping that rather than the power. Because all that for me, even my prayers now, quite frankly, is really about centering. I mean, I need to pray. Most of my prayers are for other people, to be honest with you even those who've passed on, Um, a lot of forgiveness prayers and and things like that. But uh, my prayers, I I, I still say the Lord's prayer, the third step prayer, Seventh step prayer, I love the surrender. I do all of those prayers. It isn't to move God to see my point of view. It's really about saying those prayers get me centered as to who I'm talking to right now. I'm not talking to the guy at home group. I'm not talking to the guy at the diner. I'm talking to God. And that kind of centers me. It takes away a lot of that noise. And um, when I'm done with prayer, I go into meditation. But what I was doing back then, I had to read all these little pages before I went into prayer. And when I got done with all of that, I would go into meditation. And that took on a life of its own, too. And it was good at the beginning. And I got into some uh, uh, cassette tapes and then CDs on meditation music, like we did a few minutes ago. Medi- uh, w- uh, there was this woman who used to walk you through meditation. I would do that. And I, I got into buying candles, and I got into buying sage, and I got into gongs, and and all the things. And I had a, a an orchestra in front of me, and I had, it was like Studio 54 meets Moses. It was just- <laughs> just unbelievable, and I had to make sure the candles were burning the right way, and the sage, if you burn too much sage, it looks like London in your house, I mean, it's, it's a fog of stuff, and sometimes it smells like weed, so I'm like, I'm burning too much, and the, the music's got to be, no, it's too loud, and will make it lower, and I'm, and, and I'm arranging all of this stuff, and here's why, because if I get this right, I'm going to have a good day, it sounds like superstition to me. It sounds like idol-worshipping to me. doesn't sound very much like God. Now, God is probably nudging St. Peter going, you believe this guy? <laughs> you know, help is a complete prayer, and I'm done, if it's sincere. I learned it's the intent at which I do this. So when the book says improve our conscious contact, it's insinuating here, I have, I have conscious contact. But I'm going to improve it. It's not like I'm looking for it. God's not lost anymore. By the time I get to step 11, if I've been really diligent with this work, I've walked right into God who was there all along. I have to jump through hoops to experience God. I need to, what I need to do along the way where I am right now is to really be clear, to recognize that loud voice of fear that presents to me, creates an atmosphere for me that I think I'm separate from God. And I miss all of God's invitations now because I'm consumed with me. And I'm not hearing God, what I am is hearing me and I think it's God. I'm missing all of God's invitations to go speak to this person, call this person, go here, be still, the way God speaks to us all day long. I don't hear that. I miss all those invitations because I'm listening to that loud voice of fear of, oh my God, I'm alone. Oh my God, this is not going to work. I deal with this, I deal with this a lot that voice, I I can recognize, I need to learn to recognize, I need to hear it, and who's that guy speaking to me? It's not God. God doesn't know fear. I think it's cause of miracles, I think it's cause of miracles, it's something like, I'm going to screw this up, that if I knew who walked beside me at all times, I'd never be afraid anymore. But the mind doesn't want to hear that. And that's the battle. I'll battle, if you will, with that till my last breath of this mind who wants to get in the way of me and God and improve in my conscious contact with God. Not have an unconscious contact with God, but conscious contact with God which is really my uh, number one priority, I've said this a bunch of times over the last 10, 10, 11 weeks, that it was when I first got here my number one priority was sobriety, that's what I was taught when I walked in the door by the sponsors, by the old Your number one priority is sobriety, okay good, I got it it is important to me, it's a priority, number one priority but the truth is true until we discover a new truth, and a new truth is you know, how do, I, how do I have sobriety, is that because of my home group It's not because of a sponsor. It's not even because of this book. They're all vehicles to take me to the palace, keep me sober all along. I better have conscious contact as my my number one priority. Because when I'm in that place and standing in that kind of light, I'm not doing things to hurt me or my sobriety. I'm not leaning on it. I appreciate what's in front of me. I appreciate the relationships God has put in my path. I forgive the people who stepped over me even though I don't like it. I'm, 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 my point of view and everything has shifted to improve my conscious contact with God. Very often, I, 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 I when I sponsor in guys, I, I ask them at some point on the first few conversations, um, I want to know their religious background, and I'll be you'd be surprised how many guys take that as like a, a, a threat. I, I just want to know. I'm a sponsor. Your, our book talks about I'm working with others and find out as religious things. That's what I'm doing. And they're really uncomfortable. What I've learned is why they're uncomfortable because whatever religion, religious background they are, they don't practice it. And then I ask them, tell me about your God and it's quiet. Well I pray, be specific. Who are you praying to? What does it sound like? What does a prayer sound like? Do you have a vision of what your God looks, what, what does that look like? Who are you praying to in the morning? And some of them, very few of them are really clear. They might be Jewish or Catholic or, or, or something or, or Protestant or Christian. They got out okay, this is who I'm praying to. Okay, got it. But a lot of them don't. There's a lot more work to be done. They need to need to uh, develop and establish a relationship with a God that they can trust. It's unbelievable for younger folks, and they're not a knock on young folks, but um, you start to get older and you meet. Everyone seems to be younger. That's not a good thing. But um, I would say like the 30 and unders. When I I was growing up, for better or worse, you knew what you were. Your neighbors were Jewish or Christian or Protestant or Buddhist, whatever. You knew. Everyone knew what they were. Not everyone practiced, but you knew what you were. And I see 30s and unders come in, what's your religious background over the phone? I, I don't know. What do you, how could you not know? Well, what was mom and dad? I don't know. They didn't do anything. That's an awful way to start off. I'm clueless. I have nothing out there, nothing I can reach back to. There's no starting point. And so what I need to do as a sponsor is present to them you, a group of junk's for good early direction, God, a G O D. Let's start with that and let's let God do what he's going to do and remove everything that's blocking you from coming face-to-face with him, if you will. We talk about sought through medita- prayer and meditation. Uh, my meditation, the very first time I began to meditate, um, it, it was awful experience. Someone put me on a two-minute timer. And taught me about posture and breath. And it, it, I'm not trying to teach anyone, it's just my experience. But posture and breath when it comes to meditation is really important. I shouldn't have the TV on. I shouldn't be taking selfies while I'm doing this. This is, <laughs> this is really a, a, a time of solitude. Yeah? And so it's posture and breath, and I should be sitting comfortable, whether it's in a chair with no arms so my shoulders aren't up to here, but I bought a a mat and all these little cushions to help me, support me, sitting in this meditation practice. I should be meditating in the same place all the time. Don't have to, but it helps. I create a space and energy, a place to go to, a safe place to go to. I have things that represent my God and some things that represent Alcoholics Anonymous. It's very safe. It's very tranquil. I like going there. At the beginning, it wasn't like that. And I was on a two-minute timer, and I I sat on the floor. It was really uncomfortable, and here's what I came in contact with: and the lousy, stinking two minutes of meditation. I think that's what we did here. Two minutes of meditation. I was super uncomfortable, and here's why. I touched how loud I was in my head, how noisy it was in my head. I didn't even realize. I got used to it. It's like if the air condition is on and it's, and it's really noisy and it's vibrating, you tend to talk over it. Or if you're on the phone and the TV's on, you tend to talk over it until you realize this is loud. Could you make it a little soft and you go, wow, that was loud? And when two minutes of meditation, I got my, my head's going in about 400 different directions now got to go here, I got to do this, I got to, oh yeah, I got to call him, I got to do, so I'm trying to go, um, it was insane, I don't want to do that again, and the person teaching me says, no, we're going to do that every day, two minutes until I tell you to move up to three, and I did three, then we're going to go to four, and I got to five, this is over months, and it's noisy as heck. And what I was trying to do in meditation was not think about what I was thinking about, which made me think even more. Okay, I'm supposed to be meditating. I'm Moses right now. Why am I worried about the dry cleaning? Why am I worried about the dust on the, you know, and and I can't think about that. It creates more struggle. And this this person who was teaching me says, that's okay. It happens to everyone. Just go with it and come back. You go on. You go off on a tangent. Once you realize you're on a tangent, you're back. Once I realize I'm thinking about something that has nothing to do with meditation, I come back and just work with breath, and that's what I did. And it got a lot lighter. And I went up to six minutes. Then I went up to seven minutes. And somewhere between, I don't know, seven or eight minutes, I didn't need a timer anymore. Again, it's back to sports. It's like muscle memory. You go to the gym for all the body knows it wants to work out. It wants to, it wants to, 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 to work out. And you just go and it, you kind of snap right into place. You, how many times have we gone to the gym and you're really lazy? You get there and then something happens. And it was like that with meditation. And if I missed a meditation, I felt like I was missing a meditation. And so I've been pretty, pretty, pretty disciplined to this life for many years now. It doesn't mean I levitate. And if you cut me, I bleed. And when people hurt, I hurt. And when people get sick, I weep. But it has made me that much more human and that much more transparent, maybe not enough, not enough transparency for some, but very transparent for me, even vulnerable at times. It has made me more real, more authentic, maybe not enough for other people, but certainly great leaps and bounds for me, who is very tight, very close. No one's getting in unless I deem you okay. And I was real careful as to what came out. It has freed me of me. And I love the effect produced by meditation. In fact, over the last 35 years, uh, God has given me those God wings in a meditation which has freed me up because if I'm not meditating and I'm not praying and I'm not seeking God, I become the master of my own domain. It's my little island and only who I want on there is allowed. And what happens, I begin to feel pain. I start to feel distant from you and I start to suffer by my own hand and suffering brings along isolation. And when I'm in a place of isolation, I can be in a packed room of people and I feel alone. I'm isolated. I've stepped back from you. What do I do? I need to deal with that temptation, I need to deal with that isolation, and I fell, fall prey to temptation now. This is where alcoholism goes underground and resurface in other areas. I don't like the way I feel, I'm really uncomfortable, but by my own hand. And so here comes a little gambling, here comes a little acting out with sex, here comes some food stuff, here comes some shopping stuff, here becomes workaholism, and it just goes on and on and on, you just spin the Rolodex and pick one out, you got it. And it's all by my self-will run riot because I refuse to completely give myself to this God, to completely give myself to God and fall under his authority. I'm afraid to do that. I'm afraid of being unpopular in Alcoholics Anonymous if I talk too much about God or the big book. I'm afraid I won't be liked. I might be considered radical if I talk too much about God. Well, my, my, the good news that I like to bring to you, if you can't even entertain it, is that Alcoholics Anonymous is about God. What do you think this is? This is not window dressing. This whole thing is about taking me to God. If I can get to it, if I stop talking for a minute and get to the 11th step, it's going to give me about five times to go to God just in the 11th step. Ask, 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 ask to remind me I'm not running the ship. Huh? My prayers can be one of negotiation rather than one of listening. A transaction. A transaction. Or I get on my knees and I think I'm Moses. I get up and I'm, I turn into Rambo. You know, I'm real spiritual at an AA meeting, but you see me out there, I'm not so spiritual. I'm alone, I'm not so spiritual. I'm in my car, I'm not so spiritual. And the great thing about living in God's light, it's consistent. Not perfect, but consistent. I'm not afraid to pray in front of people. I used to be terrified to do that. They didn't think I'm a holy roller. Well, I can't deny God here because he might deny me when I get there. I'm not going to do that. So our 11 steps is this. It has a morning and night and what to do during the day. It says, uh, uh, we shouldn't be shy in this matter of prayer. Better men, we are using it constantly, not occasionally. It works if we have a proper attitude and work at it. Well, what's the attitude I ought to be presenting here? Now, This attitude we talk about, being open, being willing, being honest, being willing to be disciplined to the spiritual life does not come from me. That's called self-help. I've been molded. We get molded at this point to be open and honest and willing to listen from someone perhaps from a different religion. Or maybe someone has a different approach about this. Someone who does meditation a little bit different, I'm saying, well that's different, I can't hear it. What I don't know I fear and what I fear I hate, that's not good. A perfect example is this. a lot of us in this room, I don't know if everyone, we should, 9-11 happened and I was in Atlanta on business. I couldn't get home. My brother worked down on Wall Street. I had no idea where he was. It was frightening as anything. I mean all of us remember that day. It was like the end of the world. And I was stuck in my hotel room, and around 2 o'clock in the morning, alarms went off. We had to evacuate. I said, oh, no, they're hitting Atlanta now. Now I'm really going to die. And I'm in my hotel room, and uh, I don't know what to do. And I'm watching, some of you guys remember the Larry King show. And Larry King had a priest, a minister, and a rabbi on. Sounds like a joke. A priest into a bar. Um, and he asked the question, you know, that everyone was, you know, where was God today? And so I'm a Catholic. So I, the priest, he called on. And uh, one of these television priests, he's all over the place at the time. He said, all right, priest, my guy, you know, home run. I, I was really unsatisfied with his answer. It was, it was a nonsense answer. I said, that's not the answer. That's what I'm looking for. Then he went to a pastor. I said, okay, you know, minister, Christian, he'll do good here. He fell right on his face. They didn't know, quite frankly. Then he called on his rabbis. I'm not Jewish. I said, what's he going to tell me? What is a rabbi? What am I going to learn from a rabbi? I'm a Catholic. pride, investigation. And this man paused for a minute, and he gave about a two-minute explanation. And it all made sense. And I learned quickly. Be open to all. God is God. We can identify ourselves by our passports, where we live, the big house we have, what we drive, our bank account, the color of our skin, what school we went to, what we do for a living. That seems to be our identity. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Protestant. I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Christian. I'm all this stuff. Those are all identities. The real identity that I like to walk with before anything is I'm a God follower, period. Everything else is second. And that removes all the stuff. And I saw that when I heard this rabbi. Am I willing to be disciplined to the spiritual life? Well, by now, if I've gone through the work, there has been instilled in me some discipline. Unfortunately, one of the first things that fall off is meditation with a lot of folks and I can say that by experience by a lot of men I sponsor have sponsored by a lot of folks I walk into and talk to that meditation is not even existent anymore and, my, and the prayers become a check in like God's the holiday in. I'm just going to check in with God now it's great while we're driving we're talking to God I do it we both do it talk about God talking to God while we're driving that's a good thing you know But prayer is something a little different. It's a little bit more intimate. It demands my attention. I can't check in at that point when I'm checking in with the power that's going to give me my life. I need to give that some dignity and respect and not to be so cavalier about it. I need to set a time and a place where I am going to go in with God alone or we're going to go together, but we're going to give God all of our attention. And even with that, the mind wanders anyway. (laughs) It still does it, but God understands that. And so I start to get disciplined to this life. I like the effect produced by it. Then I go to another place of totally believing. It's not going to happen in my time and I still get frustrated. It's not going to happen exactly the way I want and I still get frustrated. But I totally believe God's got his hands on me. And although I might get frustrated or I might get sad about something or really nervous or fearful about something, it's now been replaced. It sometimes takes a couple of hours or sometimes a day. It gets replaced with an undercurrent of I'm okay. God's got me. What parent would just drop their kids in the ocean and say, good luck, unless they're psychotic? Well, why would God, who's a million times more love do that to any of us but the mind convinces me it creates the environment where I believe that's actually going to happen and here comes suffering, here comes isolation and here comes being tempted to other things that, to things that are not going to ha- help me it says it would be easy to be vague about this matter yet we believe to, uh, we can make some definite and val- great words and valuable suggestions Bill didn't have 40 years in sobriety going to ashrams and things, and when he wrote this, we would call Bill a newcomer. Nowadays, those of us who are sober, say, 15, 20 years, Bill we would consider a newcomer. Imagine a guy with, like, two years coming in here, I got a new book for AA, you're all going to follow it. How long are you sober? Two years. Sit in the back. <laughs> Who's your sponsor? It's, it's crazy. Bill didn't have 20 years. He says it would be easy to be vague about this matter, but no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you valuable and very definite, definite, like this is what you should do if you want the effect produced that the book is talking about. And he talks about what to do at night. It's the nightly review. Some people write this, some people don't. I don't get into that anymore. I've been a writer. I write. I write just about everything. I do less writing than I did when I was new. A lot of it is the stuff that would get me at 5 years doesn't just goes right by now. But I've always written. I always put pen to paper. Some people answer these questions as they are. Some people do four column inventory for night. That's how I was brought up. I was four columns with everything. It's all good. And so I review my day. They're not asking us to drag ourselves over hot coals and oh my God. Sin, quite frankly, we hear sin, I hear sin, it's like oh my God, I'm going to hell. Sin is I missed the mark. I fell asleep. Spiritually speaking, I fell asleep for a little while. I haven't seen Ian in a long time. And he would wa- say so he walks into the room and I, I, he walks by me, says, oh, Hi, Ian, and I go back to my conversation. Well, that's rude. I haven't seen him in a long time rather than embracing him. And I get home, he says, I missed that one. I'm not a bad guy. I love him, but I missed it. I fell short. That's what really it comes down to. I fell short. What I need to take take a look at is day after day after day, if I'm repeating that same type of behavior, I got to take a closer look then. But it's a simple review. Bill didn't expect any of us to be into this for like two hours at night. that's not what this is about and if I have a pretty good day because I'm practicing principles thank you God in all my affairs and I'm using my 10 step to get around there's a lot less weight at night If I have a sponsor and I'm conversing with the sponsor, I have a support group say, here's what's going on. I have a lot less weight at night, a lot less work to do, if you will. But I need to have this conscious contact with God. And so it says at the end of this, after making our review, we ask, as a prayer, forgiveness and inquire what measure should be taken. I fell short. God, forgive me. Maybe I need to make amends to someone. That's part of my corrective measures. Maybe I need to pay more attention when a friend walks in the room so I don't ignore them. Maybe I need to uh, let that person go first next time in the shopping line, whatever it might be. Maybe I need to go over to the newcomers instead of just walking into a room because I missed them. thing. Whatever it might be, those are my corrective measures. It doesn't say you're going to burn and go to hell now and you're not allowed in AA. Maybe I broke a tradition accidentally from the podium. I come back next time and say, hey, guys, I apologize for doing that. We keep moving. I know there are members in AA if you break a tradition. They want to tar and feather you. We know those people. <laughs> I've been in the treatment business for a long time, probably 30 years, and there's some folks in our glorious fellowship who do not deem me as an AA member. In fact, I shouldn't be allowed in here because of what I do for a living. Could you imagine? Uh, but they claim to be spiritual, by the way. Um, on Awakening, I like to talk about on Awakening because this is kind of how I start. On Awakening, is on awakening, And he just said definite and valuable suggestions. So on awakening isn't like 2 in the afternoon when I get around to it. On awakening is I don't go to the gym first, uh, buy some coffee, have some breakfast, make a few calls, and then I pray. On awakening means on awakening, which means on awakening. So on awakening, I start. I, there was a guy, Vince Dowling, he's passed on one of my first... It wasn't a sponsor, more of a, 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 a mentor. When I got sober, he had thirty years at the time. I had, you know, months, and uh, he says, "Tell me about your morning. What do you do in the morning?" So I just, well, I wake up, I make coffee, uh, you know, have breakfast, read the paper." Um, Take a shower, pray, get dressed, go to work. He says, let me get this right. So you did about three, four, five things before you even reach out to God. He says, who's keeping you sober during that time? That you don't walk out the door and get drunk. I thought that was a little exaggerated. But isn't it true? Oh, no, I'm keeping me sober. I'm just checking in with God. Really, who's keeping me sober? So Bill says on awakening because he knew I was going to show up in AA and he says, Pete, before you take over your day, just go to God's out of trouble. Yeah. So on awakening and how it happened for me. And in fact, uh, I'll, I'll be frank with you. I still do it um, before I actually go into prayer uh, on awakening. I woke up one morning in early sobriety and I just felt incredibly grateful. And I remember laying in bed, I open my eyes, thank you, God, for this day. That has evolved a little bit. On awakening, I wake up. Now, when I used to wake up when when I was like 30, I used to wake up and kind of snap out of bed. Now it's kind of a mosey out of bed. And uh, parts of my body make noises I never knew existed. It's interesting what goes on the back, the knee. But um, on awakening, I have conscious contact with God. I thank God for another day couple of things I do, and then I start my day, and my day starts with I walk into this little, it's like an office prayer room, and I have my stuff there, my meditation mat. I'm a Catholic. I got a lot of that stuff. I got some AA stuff. A lot of people give me, uh, have been kind enough to give me these little souvenirs and tokens of appreciation in AA. I have that there. Have something that represents uh, one of Marion's children who's passed on. Have something that represents my dad now. that we, It's a very sacred little spot in our place. And so that's why I go to pray and meditate. On awakening, I go right in there. And now I, I do uh, no reading before prayer meditation. That now I do after. Have the luxury of having some time in the morning to myself because I'm up by 5 a.m. I'm up. Uh, Five thirty is asleep, and that's just the way God made it. There's times when I'm up even earlier than that, like the other morning. It's, it's three thirty, and I'm, I'm wide awake and no nervousness, no oh my God, I can't sleep. I'm just I'm up and ready to roll. And very often during those very early quiet times, not all the time, but very often, guys, God will lay something on the heart because it's quiet enough for me to hear. Hmm? And so when I'm done with prayer and meditation, I I make my coffee and I go back to my desk and I got some things I like to read. Thomas Merton's one of my favorites. There's a pastor I love listening to. There's a few of them, but one right now is my favorite. I'll give you a quick God story. When I'm awake, I can hear. It's kind of meditation. We go into darkness to see and silence to hear. And when I'm awake, spiritually awake, not better than anyone else, not a guru, but just spiritually awake, I'm I'm sensitive. I can hear stuff. I can hear God speaking right through people. I can see God setting stuff up. He's, oh, my God, I got to walk through that door. I can't ignore it. So I was in Tennessee this past weekend, and um, uh, my ride picked me up, really fabulous guy, he and his wife. And um, I love this truck because my seat gave me a massage all the way to the hotel. It was fabulous. He could have drove to Timbuktu. You know. And uh, so as we're driving, we get to this one town uh, it's called Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And he just happened to say, I live in that town right there, my church is there. We're talking about church. And this one pastor who I really uh, uh, kind of idolize, a bit, will be honest with you, uh, I says, have you ever heard of this pastor? And he says, yeah, that's my church and that's my pastor. And he helped me get sober. So we start talking about that, and he says to me, would you like to meet him? Um, you have a late flight on Sunday. In fact, he said, this Sunday, they have a special event every so often for people who live out of state, who live stream and would like to fly in or drive a long drive to have this special day on his campus and meet him and pray with him. I said, absolutely. Can you do this? He says, well, I do all the audio and visual every Sunday for this guy unless I'm at a conference. So we leave the hotel on Sunday, we walk into this place, it's, it's huge. There's a great big sign that says, lead by faith. I'm so used to my whole life leading with fear, living in the wreckage of the future, leading with paranoia. and lead by faith. And there was something very special about this place, and I walk into this room, and there's this pastor standing there. And God, he had a presence about him. God, people do. They could be funny, they could be just a thing, there's a God presence. And um, I got to meet him, shook his hand, he prayed with me. It's funny, he says, where's home? I said, Florida. I said, but I'm from the northeast. He laughed. He said, yeah, I know, I can tell. (laughs) I got to take a picture with this man. And the point of the story was, God presented something that was important to me on this one visit to Tennessee... About maybe forty five minutes from the hotel, forty-five minutes at the midpoint between the hotel where the conference was to the airport in Nashville, right in the middle was this place, we had to go buy it. And there I was, spent about an hour there. It was incredible. It made my whole trip home. I couldn't wait to tell Mary. Mary was speaking in St. Louis. I said, You don't know what happened to me just now. It incredible. It's God's way of just I got you. It's the God wink. I know this is important to you. You did good this week, and I'm going to present this for you. It wasn't a bucket of money, but it was something. It was food for the soul. And it was one of those things, you walk away, you say, thank you, God. I I, I know you're walking with me. When I doubt you, when I have skepticism, improve my conscious contact with God, things like this happen. It says, on awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. I consider my plans for today, but before I begin, I ask, here's my prayer, God to direct my thinking, because my thinking is a thing that's going to get me in trouble. My thought life will create my current reality all the time, and I could be sitting on my couch and no one's around, and I'm in the middle of a war. I could have enough money in the bank, great health, great relationship, great car, great neighborhood, great apartment, great everything, and my mind says, it's not that great. What about this? My mind, it'll show up and say, um, well, how old are you now? You know, you know that pain in the back? You got about 10 days to live. I heard a new guy say, hes I'm an alcoholic. I don't get headaches. I, I get tumors. You know, you're laughing because you do it too. I know. Uh, okay. So uh, we ask God to direct my thinking, asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. I never saw this till a couple of years ago. If I'm going to God and ask God to divorce my thinking from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives, it means on awakening, I got that. Otherwise, it would say, don't even bother with God with that. It's been removed. But that's me going out. With dishonor, self-pity, and self-seeking motives without God. I need to go to God and remove that so I can move forward. I'm an alcoholic. I have alcoholism, not wasm. I'm certainly much better than day one or year one or or, or day ten or year ten, but I'm still alcoholic, and i still got this mind. It's quiet a lot of times, but it likes to talk, and none of it's pretty. And it's never the truth. And thinking about my day, I got to watch my time here. Thinking about my day I may face indecision. I may not be able to determine which course to take. Here's a prayer I ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought or decision. Intuitiveness doesn't come from up here. This is that soul talking. I can hear it. That little nudge. And sometimes it's scary. I don't know if I should do this, but something's telling me to do it. It's a calling. I'm getting called, it's an invitation. And sometimes I feel like I'm alone. This is crazy. Why am I calling this person? They just came to me in meditation. I haven't seen them in five years or or a year. Why am I calling? This is stupid. I got to do it. And you call. I'm so glad you called. How you been, man? I'm going through a tough time right now. just dots get connected. I'm trying to figure out with this very limited mind, which tends to be more logical, God. I'm trying to figure out God. Who's always beyond my cleverest plans? God doesn't have to think about stuff or need a spreadsheet. He's just God, and I'm trying to approach this infinite power with a very finite mind. That's bizarre in itself, but that's how I approach God. Well, this doesn't make sense to you, Peter. It doesn't make sense. God's going to me. It's perfectly fine. God doesn't know distance. I'm going to call a friend of California. So called. As far as I'm concerned, you guys are all linked up anyway. Soul to soul to soul to soul. I've done great at putting myself in a, in a private community with a gate. and security. Claiming I'm open to the world and open to God, but you've got to go through the gate first. <laughs> I'm wondering why I'm separate from other people. Oh, they're Jewish, I'm Catholic? Well, there's a little difference. There's no difference. They're black, I'm white. Well, does it, no, there's really no difference. Look at the state of the world right now because we created a lot of differences. Let's not let it happen in Alcoholics Anonymous. God forbid. What used to be the hunch, occasional inspiration, gradually comes a working part of the mind. This is interesting now because we're talking about proper use of the will. The book has been really clear. Stay away from your mind, Peter, and over here comes working part of the mind because it's operating, I'm operating out of the soul. And I, my, my, vision, my my analogy for this, it kind of starts here, makes its way up here, and you go, that's a great idea. But it started way down in here, way down in the soul. Common sense becomes uncommon sense, that kind of stuff. It says, um, I ask for, uh, especially for freedom for, for, from self-will, It says, I may ask for myself if others will be helped. It talks about asking for the right thought or action when agitated or doubtful. When I get agitated or doubtful, it's usually because I'm bumping up against God's plan for me and my plan for God. I'm usually uh, uh, agitated or doubtful because things aren't going according to the way I want them to. Joe or Mary is not doing what I want them to do. Now I'm agitated and doubtful. Or I'm trying to peek around the corner into tomorrow and I can't do that and I get doubtful and agitated. I become fearful. And I start to fight with God and argue, that kind of thing. I have unrealistic expectations on people, places and things that I should be fed at this point. And I, I bumped into that. It's futile. It's a waste of time. The antidote for that is drop him to my knees. I don't know where we're going with this. I don't even know where you're sending me, but I'm going to walk with you. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how alone I got to be. I'll be alone. I'm never really alone. But whatever it is, I'll go. My prayer is, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. And I'll say what you want me to say. And it will take all the heat involved. One of my prayers is, God, I believe, help me with my unbelief. I'm realistic to know my down skepticism. I don't think God's going to work right now. I'm getting afraid right now. So, Father, I believe, help me with my unbelief. It's on bended knees. Sometimes I pray in the car, sometimes we pull over in the car and pray. But ideally, on bended knees, it's a sign of humility. When we talk about the fear of God, it's not like I'm afraid of God. Fear, in other words, just respect. The reverence, let me drop to my knees. I've gotten too big to kneel. To this power that's given me life, that's breathing life into me. Oh, I can't bend. I can't get quiet. Really. It says, be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. I read that for years. And I got to tell you how important that is for me and the freedom in that because I've done a lot of that over the years. Be quick to see. I want to speak to people. I don't care what religion you're from. Because if you're really into God, you're really talking about love. It's a four-letter word, I know, but it's, it's, it's love. I don't care what religious denomination. I want to be quick to say religious people are right. It seems that the, the, the ones who are really on that path are very simple. They keep things simple and to the point. And it always comes down to this. Where are you with God? Why are you so afraid? That's what it comes down to. A very wise man told me, he says, if you believe in heaven, please understand this. Fear does not exist. Uh, there's no such thing. Down here, it's, it's all over. And that's why I'm like, we walk around like this. Always worried. Always, Fear is always in the future. And so um, this prayer meditation is uh, I have a life of meditation. I have a life of prayer. I I don't only pray in the morning at night. It's throughout the day, turn in in order to go out. If I don't turn in, I'll go without. And God has uh, uh, blessed me, gifted me, I don't even know the right adjective, with some of those God winks over the years. Little things that came out of meditation, and I heard the calling, so I followed through on it. many years ago I got this uh, I went into meditation and um, I didn't think much about it I'm sitting in posture and breathing and I used to om a long time it's a good thing, it'd vibration it kind of gets you centered and I was doing that and a um, little eastern philosophy and um, I see this picture of this this, this Woman, this woman holding this little infant, you know? And it was like an old statue. It's uh, a picture of it like a statue, and it was, was kind of dusty. And it came out of meditation. I didn't give it a second thought. And uh, the very next day, I go into meditation early in the morning, and uh, somewhere in meditation, this thing happens again. And I'm still like pretty conscious. I'm going, oh, it happened to me. I think, yes, that's weird. And the third day, something changed. Because that what looked like a picture of a statue became lifelike, flesh-like. And the baby was very real. It was an infant. And I get told in this meditation that I have to go back to the corner of Van Brunt and Walcott Street in Red Hook, Brooklyn. And I remember I was very aware of this room smelling like a florist. There was roses. I didn't think anything about that. My sponsor, Mark H., says, don't talk this away. This is important. It was a sign. When I was three years old, my mom had what I know now was a nervous breakdown on the corner, just off the corner of Van brunton Walcott Street. I was three years old. I was frozen in fear watching this and had the ambulance, the old Cadillac ambulances, back up onto the sidewalk, and they put her in there. And the, we lived up above a luncheonette, and the man who owned the luncheonette, I remember covering my eyes. And the next I remember being in some hospital, and I was peeking through this door, which was about where that doorway is, and my mom was on this table with this funny what I thought was a funny looking jacket I didn't understand, it. I couldn't see her arms and my grandparents took me away that stayed with me for a long time, when I walked into my mom's funeral, the very first thing that my mind told me was it's your fault, you could have stopped her from drinking and committing suicide so I had this thing walking around with. and I get told to go back to Van and Walcott Street and I told Mark about it and Joe Hawk, bless his heart, rest his soul was in town as well Mark says I'm leaving tomorrow for Texas. Joe's going to be here. I called Joe out of the back room. Tell him what just happened. He will go tomorrow. And on Saturday, Joe and I left uh, New York, um, Staten Island, New York, and we headed to Red Hook, Brooklyn. We're talking about the ninth step in the car. You think you owe your, man, your mom any amends, your mans, things like that. I said, I don't think so. And uh, when my mom had this nervous breakdown, my kid brother Johnny was born. He was about one, two. And um, it, was, it was tumultuous in the home. Mom was sick all the time having these episodes, I remember, of crying in the bedroom and, and things like that. And we get there, and I get out of the car, and I'm walking around. I remember I could, I could feel the energy where I was standing of this three-year-old kid. And what I did was I kneeled down. I just need to speed this up. to almost out of time. I kneeled down on one knee, and I prayed to that little me, that little three-year-old kid, that it's okay. You're safe. I'm taking you home now. I walked around a little bit, and I went to get into my car, and I opened up the door. Joe was sitting in the car smoking a cigarette, and i it was like a force would not let me get in my, I could not move. And I said, Joe, I can't move. I can't get in the car. Joe says, let's pray. Get out of the car. And right off the corner are these two white guys on their knees holding hands praying. This was a sight. And um, Joe's walking around, and Joe says, you need to look in the concrete. I what they just look in the concrete. And what was etched out in like when concrete's wet, and you put your initials in it. What is etched out, and Joe's talked about this before he passed at a couple of his last talks. What's etched out in the concrete is the following. to Peter and Johnny with love and three little X's underneath in the concrete. And at that point I break, knowing that I'm known by my creator. That could have been written to any Peter and Johnny in the neighborhood. I, I'll give you that. But just very interesting as to what took place in meditation. Joe takes me down there. There's a bouquet of roses which is very symbolic. And there I am and I'm looking at the sign, God says, I gotta. Everything's okay and I got you too. To so the power of prayer and meditation and really opening up and being open up to this power. It's not because my name is Peter Marinelli. I just happen to be one of God's kids. He has no stepchildren. No one in this room is a stepchild of God. Knock and the door will open. does they kick it open. Just says, knock and the door will open. God's giving me a problem. Knock on the door, he'll open it. But I got to knock. And I did. And he opened. That's all I got. Peace.
1: Let's give Peter another round of applause, you guys. That was beautiful. So can we get our secretary report, please? David?
5: Hi, my name is David, and I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the Seventh Tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the backs of some of the chairs if you'd like to contribute through Venmo. Um, And I have asked Zach to come up and read the recovered statement.
6: My name is Zach. I'm a recovered alcoholic.
3: Hey,
6: we are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. Now we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That the that was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. We are now saying where alcoholic is alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered.
5: Thanks, Zach. (laughs) 1940s-style Big Book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Is there anyone in the room needing a sponsor? Okay, uh, if you're too shy to raise your hand, uh, you can come up to the front, stand by the piano, and hopefully we uh, we can get somebody to come over and talk to you. Um, So, yes, uh, please come stand by the piano after the meeting. Uh, Can uh, the recovered alcoholics in the room raise your hands? Okay, if your hand isn't raised, uh, please uh, hang out with the people whose hands are. Um, Okay, screen announcements. (laughs) Uh, Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places uh, like jails and detoxes and rehabs where people like us can't get out to an AA meeting. They meet monthly uh, to organize the meeting schedules, at the 12-step house. Uh, do we have any members of BCIC here tonight? Okay, well, the, the monthly meeting is on the second Saturday at 10 a.m. Uh, here are some upcoming service opportunities. Flyers uh, should be in the back on the literature table. Uh, the next gratitude dinner planning meeting will be held on... Uh, no, it won't, because it already has. Uh, <laughs> okay uh, sunday september seventeenth has happened as well, uh, and therefore that is not possible but the picnic uh, is happening on october 29th, and that that so so forty uh, seventh uh, broward county intergroup picnic uh, eleven a m to four p m uh, friends friends and families are welcome uh, double speaker meeting at two thirty tickets are Ten dollars or three for twenty five and kids under eight eat free and of course um, Peter hasn 't done the twelfth step yet, so uh, next week uh, we get to hear that from him, uh, so uh, we 're looking forward to that anything else Oh, Stevie B comes uh, after uh, uh, the week after, so um, October nineteenth please there, be here for that as well. Um, <clears throat> hmm. and of course there's our home groups uh monday night uh big book study workshop it's where the big book comes alive uh join us for fellowship at 6 30 the meeting starts at 7 15 it's on the third floor of this building Uh, we have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale on the literature table. And we meet here every Thursday, starting promptly at 7:15 p.m. And we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. See you next week.
1: have tonight's session and all the past speakers podcasts at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. And those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Let's all circle up and close with the Lord's prayer. We did it. We did it. We did it. Whose father? Father, who are in heaven,
7: I am desperately in need of Restoration
8: Sign it, uh-huh. baby.
3: song is god bless i love you mike chase bye
9: i think you know this one don't you (laughs) on <laughs> your